blessings, you guys, man. I, I just get so overwhelmed when we have missionaries. And when I think about the theme this year, come on, isn't it really all about Jesus? Isn't it? I mean, I, Jimmy, talking to you yesterday morning at the diner, hearing all you're doing about those girls' homes, it's, it's all about Jesus, man. That's why you take the diapers. That's why you take the food. That's why you, you take... It's, it's all about Jesus. Um, I want to share something with you before I get into my message that uh, we need to just kind of like understand with next week coming with our missions pledge with Don James. Don James has pastored a church that has been the top 10 churches nationwide in giving for many years. He has a heart for missions uh, you will enjoy, you will be challenged. Uh, in our network, there are over 250 churches. New Jersey makes up a network. It used to be a district, now we call it a network. So our network is all of New Jersey with over 250 churches. And for our young people to be number one would speed the light because we're just a, a small little church compared to some of those churches. But look what we have done. Uh, present, our present missions pledge is $7,971. That's what you have pledged each month for missions. We support 66 missionaries at a matter of 7900 because the board never wants to pledge more than what has pledged to come in. Now, here's the good news. The good news is, normally, nationwide, they say you can expect 80% of what is pledged. So if the pledge is $7,971, you usually receive 80%. We are averaging 125% of our pledge. Our monthly offering averages $9,953. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. The bad news is this. We as a board cannot support missionaries above our pledge. So each month, we're taking in $2,000 more, which goes to Convoy of Hope, Wells, uh, money up to Rutgers. We take on special projects. But like, remember two weeks ago when uh, the Browns were here, missionaries to Bolivia? They need support. Right now, we can't give them support because all the pledge money is basically pledged. And someone will say, well, you know, if the average monthly pledge is 9000 you know, but that's not what's pledged. So here's what has happened. This is what I think has happened. Obviously, there's been new families who have come in uh, who give to missions that haven't made a pledge. Plus, I believe there are people from maybe a couple years ago, three years ago, who made a pledge. And then when the pledge comes again, well, I've made my pledge already. But we don't add last two years ago pledges. So... What we need is our goal this year is for every family to make a pledge. We're not putting a dollar amount. We just want every family unit this year to make a pledge. Now, if you made one three years ago, if you want to keep it the same, that's fine. But please make the pledge. Every family unit makes a pledge. And we believe that God will give us the amount we need to continue to support our special projects as well as bring on some new missionaries. So I think I explained it 
well enough. So just pray this week uh, for next week when we take up our pledges, what you can do for the cause of missions. Because you know what? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been taking a look at Acts chapter 17, where Paul and Silas, as well as Timothy, were on their second missionary journey. And in Acts chapter 17, uh, they were accused of turning the world upside down. These men who have turned the world upside down, they, they have come here also. And they were being accused by the people in Thessalonica as men turning the world upside down. Now, in light of the Great Commission, in light of that commandment, that mandate, of taking the gospel into all the world, preaching the good news, making disciples of all nations, this accusation actually became a compliment. This accusation of turning the world upside down was really a compliment to these three men on this mission's journey. And as I was thinking about this over the past few weeks, I, I started to think to myself, what earned them the reputation of men turning the world upside down? And we know that after Paul left Thessalonica, a while later, he wrote a letter to the church there. And I started to read First Thessalonians. And when I came to the second chapter, I saw seven traits that earned them the reputation of turning the world upside down all for Jesus. And we went through four of the traits last week. The first trait was, uh, Nancy, this, <laughs> I'm trying to be as patient as possible. There it goes. I think it's time for, actually, I think the button is worn out. If we can just go back one. There we go. <laughs> Let me try it again. Okay. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered insults at Philippi. As you know, but with the help of God, we dared to tell you his good news. We dared to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition. Hey, I'll tell you what, if we had a chance to interview you, I'm sure over the years you have had some strong opposition, spiritual warfare that has tried to keep you from preaching the good news in those areas. And that's why we need to pray for missionaries. Despite oppositions, they were faithful. Second, we took a look at the trustworthy message. For the appeal we make for you does not spring up from error, or from impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God, entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our faith. They, they were known for turning the world upside down because their message was true. It was pure. It was honest. It was trustworthy. 
Even though the methods and the programs may change, the message always stays the same. Jesus Christ is still the answer for any problem in this world today. Third, it was a clear conscience. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on masks to cover up greed. In other words, they're saying, we did not use our ministry for personal gain. We didn't take advantage of you. We didn't use ministry for personal gain. And the fourth thing we took a look at last week was, but we were gentle. We were gentle among you. And I, and I, I, I noted, remember I said, isn't that a kind of a funny characteristic? When you think of Paul, you don't think of being gentle. But he says, we were gentle like a mother nursing her child. Here at First Assembly of God, you know we value missions because we see the Great Commission as a mandate to take this gospel into all the world, making disciples of all nations. And as we value missions, we also value the local church, the ministry of the local church, because as I've said, The local church is the vehicle God uses to fulfill the Great Commission. But we know that the church without people is just a building. So therefore, we value people because it's people whom God uses. As we come together as a church, God uses us to fulfill that mandate. When I think about that, I think of how God designed the church. God designed us for community, for relationships, relationships with other people, relationships within the body of Christ, but relationship with those who are lost who need Jesus Christ. And as a result, how we treat people will either help or harm our relationship. God's created community to build relationships, and how we treat people will either help or harm. We need to treat others so that relationships will enhance the gospel, will enhance the good news, instead of hindering his kingdom. So listen to what Paul says. This fourth trait. We we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the good news of Jesus Christ, not only the gospel of God, but we loved you so much we delighted to share our lives with you. Because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. Paul's talking about how as tent makers we worked worked a, a job there. But then we also preached. We worked day and night. In order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. I don't know if you know it or not. But our missionaries, when they're on the field... They cannot accept secular employment. 
Raquel can't work in secular employment. They cannot be a burden to the country they are serving. Our missionaries, when they go, they go as guests to that country and are not to be a burden to anyone. And when I see Paul's heart, I see this sacrificial heart. Paul, Silas, Timothy treated people with a with a sacrificial love where they did not only share the gospel, but they shared of themselves. One of the things that fascinates me the most is one of Paul's statements to the church at Corinth. In fact, I'm I'm even thinking that maybe after Easter I, I may preach on this. We're expected to do another series, but I may, I may talk about 1 Corinthians and what Paul writes here. Within the context, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about basically what makes sin, sin. He talks about food offered to idols. And he goes through this long dissertation. And then he says, though I am free and believe and belong to no man... What does the sacrificial heart of Paul say? I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. He says this to the Jews, I become like a Jew. To those under the law, even though I'm not under the law, I become like those under the law. To the weak, I become weak. And then he says, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. And that's what the mission field is all about. The giving of yourself. Not only the giving of the gospel, but the sharing of yourself. When I think about a sacrificial heart, I always think of the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10. Where a man came down from Jerusalem, was going to Jericho. And we assume that he was Jewish. And along the way, he is robbed and beaten and left alongside the road for dead. Along come two of his own. First a priest and then a Levite. And it says they pass him on the other side. Now, let's, let's be a little gracious here. Maybe they thought he was dead. Maybe they were late for another obligation. Or maybe, perhaps, they didn't want to make themselves unclean by touching something dead. But nonetheless, Jesus says in that story... They passed on the other side. They passed one of their very own. What was Jesus conveying? I believe Jesus was conveying that they just didn't care. These guys just had a lack of love. They didn't have a sacrificial heart. They didn't have a ministering heart that we talked about in our men's group yesterday. They had a small heart, a heart that didn't care. 
And then Jesus throws the listeners a curveball. And he says, along comes a Samaritan. One who is despised by the Jews. Samaritans who don't even get along with the Jews. Along comes a Samaritan and he sees this man. And this, this man has a ministering heart. This man has a huge heart. This man has a sacrificial heart. This man has a caring heart. And he goes to this one and he, he gives of himself. He cares for him. He bandages him. He put, rubs oil on him. He picks him up. He puts him on his donkey. He, he takes him to an inn where he, care, he puts him up. He pays for his lodging. And then the, this man has to go and he tells the innkeeper, hey, he, he seems to be doing better, but whatever he needs, just put it on my tab and I'll settle up with you when I come back. You talk about a sacrificial heart. You talk about the giving of yourself. The, the, this Samaritan went the extra mile in caring. I've been on both ends. And I, I, need to sh- I, I just need to share something with you. God gives us different seasons in life. Did you know that? And for about 10 years, we were in this season where we were recipients of sacrificial hearts. Our first 10 years of ministry, man, things were tough. And I remember Sunday nights after church, everybody would go to Wendy's. And we packed Bonnie up and go in the car and go home because it wasn't in our budget to spend the five or ten dollars for a little frosty. But the people in the church started to figure out hey, Pastor, hey, Heather, won't you guys be our guest at Wendy's tonight? Recipients of sacrificial hearts. I remember when Heather came down with chemical hepatitis. We mean, we had a medical bill that was, I mean, beyond, beyond, even with the, what the insurance could pay. It was still astronomical. But because of sacrificial hearts, how many know we serve a God who provides all things? I remember one year around this time of the year getting my taxes done and we owed $600. We didn't have $600. But a week later, someone gave us an Easter card. And in the Easter card were six $100 bills. Recipients of those who shared their lives with us from a sacrificial heart. And it's, it's humbling. And it's hard. To be the recipient. But you just stay faithful to God. Because then the seasons turned. And I'll never forget. One of the first times we were able to give sacrificially. There was a single mom in the church up in Clifton. She had two young boys. Great family. Felt bad for her. She lived in Belleville. Her car gets stolen. It gets wrecked. She doesn't have collision. Well, the simple thing is, well, did they catch the guy? Yeah, we'll sue him. Well, he doesn't have anything. You can't get anything out of him. 
And for a couple weeks, she wasn't coming to church. We lived close to the church. Along with the church van, we had two cars. And God just put it on our heart to give that single mom one of our cars. And can I tell you something? I experienced the very words that Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Sacrificial heart. When I see the sacrifices that our missionaries make, I mean, you're not in an area where people visit Columbia. I mean, you're kind of in a remote area where there could be danger. And danger abounds. They leave the comfort of their home. They leave the comfort of their family. They go to an area where their lives are exposed. But from a sacrificial heart, they give the good news and they share their lives with the indigenous people of Colombia. And when I think of the sacrifices that all of our missionaries make, who am I not to sacrifice a little each month in helping and pledging them for missions? The fifth thing, the sixth thing was a clean life. You are witnesses. You, Paul says, you observed. You observed. And so did God. God saw. God is our witness of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you believers. Or who you believed. Your life will either back up your message or it will destroy it. Your life will either back up your message or destroy it. D.L. Moody said this, A holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns, they just shine. A teacher at a Christian school is teaching her students, Bible or not. Bible or not. So she said, cleanliness is next to, and before she got out the word godliness, this little kid said, impossible. (laughs) Cleanliness is next to impossible. And you may be here this morning thinking that holiness, righteousness, blamelessness is next to impossible. But I want to tell you, the one who lives inside of us is greater than he who is in the world. I, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And because of the power of the Spirit of God that dwells within us, he has made us holy. Now, holiness doesn't come about by what you do. Holiness is a result of what Jesus Christ did for us. None of us are holy. None of us can be holy. Our righteousness are as filthy rags. But because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the shedding of his blood, we can receive him into our hearts. And as we receive the work that he did on the cross and the shedding of his blood, 
all of a sudden, when we receive Christ, we become justified in the eyes of God. Justified. Justification means just as if we have never sinned. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ being shed for our sins, we can clothe ourselves in His righteousness and stand before a holy God just as if we have never sinned. That's justification. Holiness. Set apart. Righteousness means morally right. We need to live and we need to treat people in a way that's right before God. And listen, man, there's, there's no middle ground. If you bear the name of Jesus, there'll be people who never come to church but still expect you to be different. If you're a Christian... There are people who have never read their Bibles before, but just saying that you're a Christian, they expect you to be different. We need to live in such a way that no one can successfully make a serious allegation against us. We need to live in such a way that if anyone finds fault with us, they'll have to do it through telling a lie. Avoid Paul later tells the Thessalonians abstain the very appearance of evil. I was watching a podcast recently with Josh McDowell and his son Sean, and it was all around the Robbie Zacharias situation, and then Sean started asking his dad about how he took precautions to protect himself and and when you, come, when you become a Christian celebrity, there are people who are willing to, that want to take you down. You know that. And one of the things I found so, so just mind-boggling was Josh McDowell would never enter the hotel room first. He would never walk in a hotel room by himself. He would always have someone go in first to check out. He says, because you'll never know. They might have planted a woman laying on the bed with nothing, with a guy with a camera. And all it takes is me to walk in that room, have a picture taken, and my ministry is destroyed, Josh McDowell would say. And then someone told me that our former vice president, Pence, had the same philosophy and the same principle. However, today, well, they can just Photoshop it and make you look guilty. <laughs> clean life avoid the very appearance of evil and the last is an urgent appeal for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children remember Paul says we were gentle like a mother with her child. Now he appeals to the father side. Now listen, I know we've had all different types of fathers. But please note what it says. It doesn't say we dealt with you like a father deals with his children who is critical, who's demeaning, who yells and tells you you don't do anything right. 
Now, we might have had fathers like that, but that's not God our Father. For you know that we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children. Come on, Dad. We should be encouraging. We should be comforting. And we should be urging. Who doesn't need an encouraging word from time to time? Encouraging, that's, that's something we all need. And come on, let's be honest. Don't we all need a little comforting from time to time? A little arm around our shoulder. A little pat on the back. A little comforting. The encouraging, the comforting, I got. Now, the urging can be a little bit harder to swallow. But the urging is not to judge. The urging is, I love you. And I want you to keep moving forward. A spurring. The urging becomes a little bit uncomfortable. When you get that phone call. Hey, I haven't seen you in church for two weeks. You know, and it's like, Pastor, don't judge me now. I kind of been busy. No, no, no. I'm calling because I'm urging. I'm calling because I care. I call because I'm... I love you. But sometimes we take the urging as judgmental. But the urging is really, we care. Pastor Bonnie, you can come and and I'm looking around, but I just need to say, because there's an urging inside of me this morning. There's an urging that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, I encourage you, I urge you that don't leave this place until you know Jesus as the one who died for you, the one who loves you, the one who shed his blood for you so that you could stand before a holy God just as if you have never sinned, clothed in his righteousness of what he's done for you. And in just a minute, I'll give you that opportunity. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you can ask him into your life this morning. But then I'm also sensing there are those who who need some encouraging. There are those this morning who need to be comforted. And the Spirit, the Spirit of God is here among us right now. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. In a minute, I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, if you need to make your peace with God and you want to receive Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, when I get to three, I just want you to raise your hand. And I urge you, if you don't, you'll make your peace with him this morning. One, 
two, three. Raise your hand if you need Jesus in your life this morning. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just thank you for their honesty back there. Anybody else this morning? Oh, in Jesus' name. That one who just raised your hand, if you just want to say this prayer, and if, as the body of Christ, if we just want to encourage this one and say it with them, let's do so. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need you in my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and shedding your blood that forgives me of my sin. I now receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. And grant to me that gift of eternal life where I will be in your presence forever and forever and forever. Now I'm wondering this morning, as there one who raised their hand through the urging, if you need to be encouraged this morning, maybe the pandemic has gotten to you, maybe life has just gotten to you, maybe, man, it's just been a, a rough week, and you, you just need to be encouraged. Would you stand right now? Those in our midst. Pastor, I just need a little encouragement this morning. I've just been a little overwhelmed. I've been a little down. Pastor, I'm just standing because I need God's presence to encourage me right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside, the counselor, the comforter. Encourage right now. Maybe you're here this morning and boy, you just need to be comforted. You you just need the Holy Spirit to be wrapped around you like a a down comforter. Would you just stand and You just need the comfort of the Holy Spirit through the adversities, through the trials, through the difficulties of life. Holy Spirit, come. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. But they keep... I keep thinking about how the comforter, the comforter has come. The comforter has come. Can we stand with those who are standing and just, just pray. Just pray for those who need encouragement, for those who need comfort right now as you're standing, just, just pray. Pray for your pastor this morning. I could use a little encouragement. We give and give and give and give. Sometimes we just need to be encouraged.
of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you pleasing to you may the words of my mouth of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you my God you're my rock you're my fortress you're my rock my redeemer you're the reason that I see Lord I be a blessing God, thank you for sacrificial hearts. Thank you for clean lives. Thank you for the urgent appeal that as a father encourages and comforts and urges. May we turn our community, may we turn this world upside down for you. Because it's all for Jesus. Make us encouragers. Make us comforters. Make us like a mother nursing her child. Give us a gentle spirit. Let us realize that the message that we proclaim is trustworthy, true, pure. And may we continue to be faithful despite oppositions. May we in our homes, among our families, in our communities, at our places of employment, in our neighborhoods, throughout the state of New Jersey. May we fulfill that mandate of making disciples of all nations. Speak to our hearts this week what you would have us do for the cause of missions filling out our pledge next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Jules, God bless you back there.